Thank you, guys. Thank you, Stephen. Team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? It's good to see you. And look, I want to echo what Stephen said. It is good just to be able to worship with you this morning. I've just been thrilled in both services to be able to worship you all together. And listen, uh, I do hope that you'll have an opportunity to come back tonight uh, for our kids' musical. If this is your first time here, not what we normally look like. Uh, but look, we go all out for our kids. And there's an opportunity tonight uh, to hear our children who've been practicing for months now to say, hey, listen, we've learned scripture. We've heard these songs that we want to declare the gospel back to us. What better way to encourage children in this culture than by encouraging them to do that? So we're going to get that joy tonight. And so I know all the parents uh, will be here. But I mean, I'm excited to come and celebrate with our kids. If you can't be here, be praying for them as they come and experience that tonight. Uh, but hey, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Verse 27. Mark 8, 27 is where we're going to be in just a minute. And for the next few weeks, we're really going to start a journey towards Easter. Easter is just a couple weeks away. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of prepare ourselves. What does it mean for us to walk into this Easter season? We will celebrate Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. But we need to be preparing our hearts beforehand. And so we'll start the day. Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 27 is where we'll start in just a minute. While you guys are turning there, uh, I wonder if you've ever said this to yourself. That is not what I expected. You ever said that to yourself? I find that the older I get, uh, the more that I am saying this in my life. Now, you'd think it'd be the opposite, right? You'd think the older that I get, the smarter I would get, and I would actually see more things coming. And it ain't happening that way. Uh, the more experiences I have, the more I have, I just go, oh, wow, that is not what I thought it was going to be. That experience was not what I expected. And look, that starts really early, right? I mean, students, I don't know what your ideas about college are. Uh, some of them are right, and then some of them are going to be different. Like, I remember going to college, I'm like, some of it was just great, and other parts of it, I'm like, wow, I have to wash my own clothes. Like, you gotta, you gotta get yourself up for class. You gotta do things, right? You gotta learn how to be a person, and I didn't expect that. They didn't put that in the brochure, right? And so I had to, I had to learn. It was, it was great, but it was not what I expected. Or think back to your first job. Right, you get out of college, you get into your first job, and you go, wow, I'm so excited to have my first job. And then you realize, wow, this is hard. Right? They expect you to show up every day. Right? And you, you have to do things. You've got to navigate people. Right? I'm not getting paid as much as I thought. Well, this is interesting. It's great, but it is not what we expected. Or maybe marriage. You get married and you're so excited to get married as a single person. You get married and go, wow, this is great. And, and parts of this are what I expected and the other parts are not, right? You go, wow, I did not see that coming. Wow, I gotta, I gotta keep growing. I gotta have some learning to do here. Uh, this is interesting. I did not think about that beforehand. And okay, that's not what I expected. Or parenthood. You have your first child or multiple children. And you're so excited for this brand new child until you realize that you know nothing, right? And you've got to learn all of it. You've got to figure it out. And, and you're growing up and you get there and just about the time you feel comfortable, they change, they grow, and, and now they're different. And you've got to learn new parenting styles. Maybe have another kid and they're different from the first one. And you have to relearn it all. You go, wow, I, I knew what parenting was, but this is not what I expected. Or maybe just growing old. Growing old's tough. <laughs> Now I get an amen, man. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> what it is, I mean, the older you get, you go, wow, I, I kind of knew I was going to get old, but I didn't believe it. Uh, and then and you get there and you go, okay, I didn't see that coming, and I got to deal with this now, and that's difficult. And wow, this is, I knew I'd get old, but this is just not what I was expecting. 
And, and look, at every one of these moments in our life, and there's gonna be lots of them, you have a choice to make. And the choice is this. Are you going to try to force this experience to be what you wanted it to be? Or will you adapt to what it actually is? Will you try to force this experience to be what you expected it to be and what you want it to be, or will you actually adapt to what it actually is? There is only joy on one of those two paths. Do you know which one it is? It is not the path where you try to force everything to be how you wanted it to be. This is not the path to joy. The only path to joy is to adapt to what actually is. Now, that's unexpected. We weren't expecting that, but that's the only pathway to joy. And if you try to force everything to be what you want it to be, you will find this failing miserably. And look, you can see people live this out in real time. Uh, We have celebrities in our culture that have lived long enough and are old enough now to where we all know exactly how much work they've had done. Have you noticed this? They're older now, and they want to just desperately to hang on to their youth. They are defying the age, but sooner or later, age catches up with you, and you realize they can't stop smiling ever, forever. They will never stop. They injected things. They pulled them and twisted. And you're like, what did you do to yourself? Like, dude, you can't fix that now. That's just you. And like, this is terrible, but they're just so bound to hang on to this old experience. They can't enjoy what actually is. Have you ever seen a, 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 just a grown adult who refused to grow up? I mean, just grown adults who, who ought to have responsibility and they just chuck it away and they keep acting like children. Uh, and you're like, what, dude, you, what are you doing with your life? I mean, you're just kind of throwing everything away because you, you so like this one stage, you can't actually grow into the new one. Or even worse, you've got grown adults who are parents and married and decide that I don't want to pretend I'm not married or I'm not a parent so I can go and act like a 20-something single person when you're not. And I'm going to go out and hang out in the clubs and do all those things and wear what I wore when I was 20, which P.S., stop it, right? I mean, look, no one wants to see that. No one, right? It's not really great to watch. And here's the worst part. You begin just to leave a a string of broken relationships in your wake because you you try to forget the fact that you're in a different stage of life and you've got different responsibilities. You want joy in life. You don't actually try to force everything to be what you expected. You gotta be able to grow into what actually is, even if it's unexpected. Okay, that's Easter. Easter is the unexpected path. Easter is not what we would expect. If you go to Walmart and try to figure out as a new person in America, what is Easter all about? What would you assume? That Easter is about chocolate and bunnies and candies and pastel colors. That's Easter. It's about spring. That's happy. You know, happens every year. Let's go enjoy spring. And for us as believers, this is not what we celebrate at Easter. We actually celebrate something unexpected. What you and I celebrate is the fact that the son of God has come to earth. And at Easter, He undergoes the greatest injustice that has ever been perpetrated in human history. And then he's going to be arrested, trumped up on false charges, tortured and executed publicly on a cross. This is what we celebrate at Easter. That is unexpected. That is not what you would expect to talk about something that is is joyous and and, and life-giving. You say, well, Adam, what we're really celebrating is the resurrection, and that's absolutely the case. When after Jesus goes to the death and the cross, he is resurrected, but you can't ignore the path. If you want to get to Easter, if you want to get to the resurrection, we got to walk the same path that Jesus walks, and that is an unexpected journey. 
but it's the one that Jesus is inviting all of us to follow him on. But I'll tell you this, this is the path that leads to joy and eternal life. And if you walk it with him, that is exactly what you will find. And so that's what we're reading, Mark chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 27. Before I read the passage, let me kind of tell you the context of where we are. Uh, we are at the dead center of the book of Mark. Uh, the very first verse of the book of Mark declares that Jesus is the Messiah. He gives away the ending up front. He says, Jesus is the Messiah. But for this first half of the book, no human has said that out loud. There's some spiritual entities that kind of get it, but no human has really figured out who Jesus is until right now. In our passage today, Peter will declare that Jesus is the Christ. But as soon as he does so, Jesus turns his attention towards Jerusalem. And from this point in the book of Mark, he will move inexorably towards the cross and the resurrection. And so this is the beginning point of that journey that he invites us on, and he's gonna ask us some questions. So look at verse 27 and listen to what he says. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whatever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a powerful passage. And in it, Jesus begins to ask his disciples questions. And I think these are the very same questions he's asking us this morning. Three things that we need to contemplate as we walk yet again on this journey to Easter. And they are these. Who is Jesus Christ? What are your minds set on? And will you follow him? Who is Jesus Christ? What are your minds set on? And will we follow him? So let's break that down and look at them in turn. First off, who is Jesus Christ? You would assume in a room this size, and because we're here on a Sunday morning, uh, that everybody in the room has the same ideas about Jesus, and that is false. If we walked around this room, we would find all kinds of different ideas about Jesus. And Jesus is firmly aware of this. At this point in his ministry, there are tons of people who love him, respect him. He has gained fame in lots of different places. So he asks a very simple question. Look at verse 28 or 27. He says, who do the people say that I am? And so they tell him, verse 28, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. Now that is rarefied air. All right, that's good company to keep if you would like to be an influential person in the spiritual world. First author is John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been murdered just previously. This is Jesus' cousin. But everyone loved John the Baptist. He was the first prophet in generations. 
Everybody knew God was with him. And so now that he's dead, Jesus is kind of like maybe picking up the mantle and he'll be the new John the Baptist. Elijah is a great person to be compared to. In this time in Jewish history, Elijah just had an outsized reputation. Uh, People looked to Elijah as the prophet. Remember, he was kind of taken up into heaven. He did not see death. And so people thought that even right now, he was helping the weak, helping those in trouble, and he would be the one to come right before the Messiah. And so that's a great person to be compared to. Or just one of the prophets. Matthew, in his uh, translation, and his version of this account, he mentions Jeremiah. But any of the prophets would be somebody amazing to be compared to. These are people who are literally the mouthpieces of God himself. They speak the very words of God. And so these are honorable things to compare to Jesus. He is either John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And while this is certainly honorable about Jesus, none of those titles fully tells who he is. All of them fall short. None of those titles helps us understand who Jesus actually is is, and it's important for us to think about that for a moment, because there will be a temptation to all of us to honor Jesus, but not see who he truly is. I mean, look, here in the South, people love them some Jesus, all right? They do. People in the South, we love some Jesus. I've already seen the signs in the yard, Jesus 2024. I've already seen it, right? People love them some Jesus, but just because people like Jesus does not mean that they know who he is. Think about it. What if Jesus asked you that question? Who do you say that I am? What would you say? When you explain it to other people and says, well, who is Jesus to you? What would you say? Because there's a lot of things you can say about Jesus. You can say, Jesus is my friend. Man, he loves me. He sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave me or forsake me. I mean, Jesus is always there for me. He's with me everywhere I go. He'll never leave me. Jesus is my friend above all others. Jesus is my guide. He's wisdom. I look to his words. I live my life by his words. I follow after him. Whatever he says, that's what I try to live my life by. He is wise. He is my my, my spiritual guide in life. He loves me. Jesus loves me more than anybody else. No one in the world, no one in the universe loves me more than Jesus does. All of those things are true. And none of those things speaks the fullness of who Jesus is. If all we say is that Jesus is our friend or he is our guide or somebody that we honor, somebody who loves us, while all those things are true, that sells Jesus short of who he is. Because Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a spiritual guide. He says, no, I am the very son of God. I am the Messiah and that's different. He is different from everybody who has ever come before. That's important for us to know because it determines how we're going to follow him. So we can't stop short of calling Jesus the fullness of who he is. He is God himself. He is the savior. He is the Messiah and therefore we should follow him. And so he asks them in verse 29, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. Now listen, that word means something in our culture that it did not mean in Jesus's culture. When you and I say Christ, we mean Jesus. That's really the only word we associate with the word Christ. Some of you might thought that who was his last name, right? It is not, okay? Uh, Christ is not a name, Christ is a title. Uh, When Peter says you are the Messiah, literally what he says is you are the one anointed by God. That's what it says in the Greek. 
You are the one anointed by God. So you are the anointed one. The words Christ and Messiah are synonyms. All right, they mean the same thing. It's a title. You are Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the one anointed by God. But in this period of Jewish history, they had a very particular idea about who this Messiah would be. Now look, if you go back into the Old Testament, you're not gonna find a whole bunch of passages about the Messiah. But over the course of these hundreds of years before Jesus comes, as people look back into the Old Testament, they see this leader coming. They see the prophecies of this leader who was gonna come and set all things right. And they kind of pin their hopes on him. There have been a lot of different people who said, is he the Messiah? Is, Is that the Messiah? Who is the Messiah who's gonna come and save us? And they pictured him kind of like David and Moses and Elijah all rolled up into one. This is the leader who's gonna come and fix everything. In fact, look at this definition from one of the commentators. This is uh, James Edwards who wrote a commentary on Mark. He says this, the Messiah would establish and protect an everlasting kingdom over all the earth. The Messiah would be the perfect king chosen by God from eternity through whom God would first deliver Israel from its enemies and then cause Israel to live in peace and tranquility thereafter. Now, that definition is correct, but do you see how you could read that a couple different ways? Jesus absolutely fulfills that definition, but not in the way that the disciples expect. You see, the disciples are expecting a political leader, a physical leader who's gonna lead their physical nation to be the physical king of the hill, that they're going to literally kick out the Romans put Israel back on the map, and then therefore the kingdom of God through Israel would spread over the entire planet. And that's what they're looking for. That's what they're expecting. These are the very pressing problems in their life. And they're expecting this person to be that kind of perfect, victorious leader who's anointed by God, who cannot be defeated, who will spread that kingdom over the entire planet. And Jesus is gonna do all of that, but not in the way that they expect. Look at the very next line. Look what it says, verse 30. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Well, that seems weird. Look, the whole book has been about people not seeing who Jesus is. We finally get to Peter who says, you are the Christ and Jesus won't deny it. He says, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Don't tell anybody. Why? The disciples had to be confused. They would say, we found him. This is it. I want to tell everybody. Why wouldn't Jesus, we go tell everybody. This will boost our ministry. Everybody will be coming. Let's just go ahead and say it out loud. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, don't tell a soul. Because you see, there's a difference between what Jesus means as Messiah and what they want as Messiah. Jesus says, I'm not going to come to be that political leader. I am not here to overthrow Rome in the way you think I am. I'm going to be someone different. And so you cannot tell a soul. This challenges us to think through, okay, then who do we really think Jesus is? Am I trying to make Jesus who I want him to be? Am I demanding to force Jesus into that mold of what I expect him to be and what I want him to be? Or am I open to Jesus when he tells me, I may be more than what you're looking for. I may be greater than what you were expecting. I may have more designs and more plans than even what you wanted. Who is Jesus? It's an incredibly important question. That leads to the second one. Where do we set our minds? Look at verse 31 and 32. 
Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Now that last word is interesting. He says this plainly. He's not speaking in parables. He's not veiling it in a metaphor. He's not being cagey about it. He says outright, hey guys, at the end of this, we're gonna get to Jerusalem and all the religious leaders will reject me and then they're going to kill me. And after three days, I'm gonna rise from the dead. To which they said, say what? I'm sorry, what? Can you imagine how confused they were gonna be? Remember, the Messiah was the great king, the perfect king. You're not gonna be rejected by the leaders. You're gonna be embraced by the leaders. You're not gonna lose. You're gonna win. You're not gonna be killed. You're, 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 you're gonna take over everything. How can you be the Messiah and then tell me that everything's gonna go bad? It didn't make any sense. Imagine if you're at work and your, your business is in trouble, all right? You work at a big company and you are in trouble, but they have hired the guy, all right? They went out and hired a brand new CEO and he has this sterling reputation of turning companies around and making everything happen. And you were so stoked when you heard they had hired this guy to be the new CEO. So he gets there day one and he has a whole company meeting and you get there and you're just waiting to hear the plan. He says, all right, guys, here's the plan, all right? We're in a bad situation. Here's how it's gonna go. We're gonna lose a ton of money. Stock price is gonna tank. Almost all of you are gonna be laid off. And at the end of it, I'm gonna be fired. But don't worry, it's gonna work out in the end. Is there another guy? Who is this guy? That is a terrible plan. I could come up with a better plan than that. What are you talking about? That sounds ludicrous. That's how the disciples feel. You're going to get killed? No. You're going to be rejected? No. That's not what happens to the Messiah because their understanding and Jesus' understanding were different. And so look what Peter does. Good Peter. Look what he does here. Uh, at the end of verse 32, it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Well, that was bold. He's pulling Jesus aside and telling him, no, 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 Jesus, you got it wrong, right? Now, why is he doing this? Why in the world would Peter rebuke Jesus? It's a very strong term. Well, I think we can say with some certainty that Peter loves Jesus. I don't think anybody would deny that. He loves Jesus. And when he hears Jesus say, I'm gonna get killed, Peter's gonna be the first one to say, nope, not on my watch. He'll literally say that later. Nope, not while I'm here. That will never happen to you. I won't let that happen to you. That cannot happen to you. He loves Jesus. He doesn't wanna see Jesus hurt. He doesn't wanna see Jesus rejected. And so he steps up and says, no, that, that, that can't happen to you. But secondly, he's like, wait a minute, but you're, you're not fitting the mold, man. <laughs> Here's who the Messiah is. The Messiah's got to win. The Messiah's got to be a, a leader. The Messiah will be accepted. And so stop with this talk of, of losing. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe Peter just assumes Jesus is having a crisis of confidence. Maybe he just sees some encouragement. And Peter will be there to encourage no, 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 Jesus, don't no, listen. <laughs> Look, I know this is a big task we got. Messiah must be a hard job, but we're with you. We're with you to the end. And so don't worry about that. I mean, don't sell yourself short. Don't doubt yourself. This won't go that bad. It will be awesome, okay? Listen, I promise we'll be right there with you, but you don't have to die. You're not gonna have to be rejected. You don't have any of that. Don't do that. He's doing his best from the greatest motives possible, and he is totally wrong. That's hard. How can you have pure motives 
or at least good motives in your own mind and be totally wrong. Because look what happens next. And Jesus, looking around and seeing the disciples, in verse 33, rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, that is incredibly harsh language for scripture. First off, up until this point in the book of Mark, nobody has been rebuked except demons. To rebuke somebody, it requires a demon to get rebuked. And Peter is rebuking Jesus. Jesus now turns around and rebukes Peter. And no one has ever been associated with Satan. That is crazy harsh. Why in the world, knowing that Peter loves him, knowing that Jesus loves Peter, why would Jesus use such harsh language to Peter? Because just because Peter has good motives, it doesn't change the fact that his advice is satanic. Because you see, Jesus has heard this before. Mark tells us that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but Matthew in Matthew chapter four breaks it down for us and he tells us what those temptations were. And the last temptation was this. Satan comes to Jesus and says, how about this, Jesus? I'll give you the whole planet. All these people you love so much, you can have them all. I'll give you every last soul. All you gotta do is bow down and worship me. No cross, no pain, no fuss. You worship me, you get the whole planet. They're all yours. You just have to stop being the son of God and worship me instead. What do you say? Please understand that's a real temptation. In the same way it would be for you or for me. Jesus knows exactly what he has to go through. He understands where he is going. When he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's going to crush him, the anticipation of what he's about to endure on the cross. Not just the physical agony of being beaten and tortured, ridiculed, and then murdered for hours, but also the spiritual torment, the entire wrath of God for all the sins of humanity is about to come crushing down upon him and him alone. It is terrifying. And he knows it's coming. And if anybody gives you a lifeline to say you don't have to go through with that, you better believe that's a temptation. But it would come at the cost of everything. To avoid the cross means that he would have a short-term pleasure, short-term relief, short-term pain, and the ultimate loss of the entirety of humanity, including himself. He cannot do it. And so when he hears this from Peter, he whirls on him and says, get behind me, Satan, because your mind is not set on the things of God. Your mind is set on the things of man. You know that had to sting Peter, but it's something he needed to hear because it's possible for us to be really sincere and really wrong. It's possible for us to have really good motives and give really bad advice. Listen, you and I are gonna face this temptation. I face this particular temptation all the time. I am constantly dealing with people in distress. I almost daily deal with people in some form of pain or distress. And I don't know about you, but I don't like for people to be in distress and I wanna do whatever I can to get them out of distress. I wanna bring them relief. I wanna bring them comfort. I wanna bring bring them peace. I wanna bring them joy or happiness. I, I do not wanna make their pain worse. And so there's this constant temptation to do whatever I can to just try to make them feel better. But in our efforts to make people feel better, it is possible to make it worse. 
in our efforts to try to just make them feel better, we can actually pull them away from God instead of pushing them towards the Lord. And it happens quicker than you think. Wait, wait, this, this bit of our theology and what Jesus says is true, you don't like, it makes you uncomfortable? That this causes you extra pain? That this part really costs you a little bit more? Then just don't believe it. Just don't believe it. Just don't believe that part of our theology anymore. You don't have to believe that part of the Bible. Just check it. If that part causes you pain, just get rid of it, ignore it. You don't have to believe that. If that causes you extra pain, then I don't want you to be in pain. Just don't believe that anymore. You don't have to. Is it hard to work out the issues in your marriage? Is it hard really working through all the problems? Is it hard to sit there and work through the relationship? You don't have any biblical grounds, but it doesn't matter. Just quit. Just get out. You're clearly not happy. You should be happy. And so just get out. You don't really have to honor that commitment that God made with you. You just, just get out. Is, is it uncomfortable to be accountable? To, to recognize that some of the things we do are sinful and they need to change? Does that make you uncomfortable? Does that make you embarrassed? Well, then just don't be accountable. Better yet, just don't admit that it's sin. Just say it's just what you like to do. Let's just not call anything sin anymore because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. So let's just cut that part out. Do you see how this temptation can take you away from the things of God and lead you towards the things of man? With the best motives imaginable, even out of love for other people, we can start turning people away from the Lord because we see that the path is hard and we assume that means it's bad. Jesus says, I know exactly how hard this path will be, but I choose it. Do you know why? Because praise God, Jesus loves Peter more than Peter loves Jesus. Jesus loves Peter in this moment way more than Peter loves Jesus. Peter loves Jesus, that's absolutely true, but Jesus loves Peter more because of what he's saying is this, Peter, I cannot accept that because I love you so much and I will not abide for you to be lost forever. I will give my very life to save yours. I will not take current pleasure, current relief, current just, just joy or, or, or just not having this kind of agony or pain just so I don't have to go through that. I can't trade this current pleasure to lose you forever. Peter, I love you too much. And so get behind me, Satan. I'm not listening to any of that. My purpose is firm. I will go to the cross I will die for the sins of humanity. I will rise again and I will give eternal life to any who put their faith in me for Peter and all the apostles and everybody else's sake. I choose to take the unexpected path, the path you don't understand that leads to true life. What if Jesus is leading you down a path and it's hard and we've avoided it because it's hard, but that's the path that actually leads you to life. Jesus says, where's your mind? You gotta set on the things of man or you gotta set on the things of God. And then here's the final question, will we follow? Look at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whatever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is saying this. There is no compromising with this sinful world. Listen, you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You, you can't have the sin of this world and the glory of Jesus Christ. Listen, the only way to life is literally to lose this life that you might save it. 
But if you try to hold on to this life, if you demand to have everything in this life, if you try to make everything what you expect and what you wanted it to be, and I don't really want to make that kind of sacrifice, if you try to save your life, you will ultimately lose everything. You will lose all of it. And so Jesus calls everybody, notice this, uh, in verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. This is not the call for the elite. This is not just level 10 Christianity. This is everybody. It's not just Peter, James, and the guys. This is anybody who would follow after Jesus. He says this, my path goes through the cross. Just like me, you're gonna have to lose your life, but if you lose your life, you will save it. If you suffer the loss of everything, your dreams, your ideas, your, 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 your idea that, that you are somehow autonomous in this life, if you will lay down all of this and give your life to me, you will actually find more than you could ever imagine. You will gain everything. And that idea is heresy in our culture, is it not? That is heresy. Because the, the prevailing idea of our American culture is this, you are the center of the universe. You determine right and wrong. You craft your own identity. You do, are not beholden to anybody else. Whatever you feel on the inside, that is the only thing that matters. So you can create literally your own morality. You can create your own identity. And so listen, whatever you do, don't let anybody be an authority over you. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. You create everything by yourself. And at the end of time, the only person you need to be thinking about is you. Were you true to yourself? Were you happy with yourself? As if the only person you're gonna have to answer to is you. And that is not true. Because you and I didn't make ourselves. We did not bring ourselves in this world and we cannot keep ourselves from leaving it. And sooner or later, a day is coming. Did you hear what Jesus said? When all of us will have to give an account to the one who made us. We are going to have to give an account for everything that we have done and said because the world does not revolve around us. It revolves around him and that includes us. Jesus knows this. And so he says, listen, if you want to save your life, then lose it. You're gonna have to say no to your very self. You're gonna have to say no to your dreams, no to, to, to what you want, no to the idea that you can define your own destiny. You're gonna have to say no to all of that in order to enjoy the life that I made you for. And look, that offends some of us, doesn't it? There's folks in this room. Is it Adam, that offends me. I, I mean, seriously, that's your pitch? That is a terrible pitch. Adam, you have got to get on TikTok and see how this is done. I mean, look. <laughs> Find out what resonates with this culture, Adam. I mean, seriously, like you can, get, you can get better at this, but this pitch, that does not resonate. Give up yourself? No, I want to have more of myself. That's what culture wants. That's what everybody likes, Adam. Isn't that the way to, to joy in life? Everybody's telling me if I just express myself and do whatever I want, surely it can't go wrong. And Jesus is actually, it can go very wrong. It has gone very wrong. So much so that here's what Jesus does. Jesus has laid aside everything he deserves. Jesus has given up everything he rightly has and he's come to live amongst us and he says, I love you so much. I'm willing to give my very life to save yours. See, I'm gonna lose my life to save yours. That's how much I love you. You see, Jesus loves us more than we love Jesus. Before we ever loved Jesus, Jesus loved us. And he says, I'm gonna lay aside everything that's rightly mine. I'm gonna come get down in your world and then every evil thing you deserve, I'm gonna just have that hoisted upon me, dumped down upon me. I'm gonna take all of the wrath that you so rightly deserve and I'm gonna take your death and then I'm gonna do the impossible. I will rise from the grave. 
I will conquer death itself. And then I'll have this eternal life that I will give to you. You don't earn it. You can't deserve it. You don't have to do anything to keep it. I'm just gonna give it to you by grace. And if you're willing to walk the same path, a path of self-resignation, the path where I say no to myself and yes to Jesus, you go through the cross and you find eternal life. That's the path of Easter. The reason we have hope and joy is not because spring is happening and it's nicer outside. There's hope for our life because Jesus tells me, man, when I lose everything, I actually gain all that I need and more for eternity. But if I try to grasp on to all the things of this world, I will lose it all. And look, I guarantee you it's worth it. There's a guy named Paul Many of you guys know him. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Um, Paul, before he uh, started writing the New Testament, uh, was one of these people who was happy to have Jesus killed. He was happy when he found out Jesus had been crucified, thrilled. He thought he was doing everything right. He thought he was following after the Lord until Jesus met him on the Damascus Road one day and said, Paul, you got it all wrong. Instead of killing him on the spot, he said, Paul, I want to give you brand new life. And Paul turned around and became proclaiming Christ to anybody he could find. Now, think about Paul's life after that moment. His career path, gone. All of his contacts, gone. All the respect he had from his teachers and probably even his family, gone. He gives up everything when he turns to Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at what he says about this. This is Philippians. Paul says this. He says, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and we share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul said, I lost it all when I gave my life to Jesus. You know what I got? Everything. And so even if I have to become like Christ in his death, it is worth it because in Christ, I have a life that can never be taken from me. I am forgiven. I am accepted. I will never be cast aside. Death has no hold on me. Sin can't hold me in shame anymore. And I will have an eternal life with Jesus forevermore. That is so much of a greater worth than anything this world has to offer. I choose to follow Jesus. That's the path he invites us on to Easter. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you those questions again. Who is Jesus? I'm not asking for like the technical answer. I mean, do you? Do you know him? Is, is he just a friend, a guide, a really good teacher? Or is he the actual son of God? The actual God of the universe who made you? Is that who he is? Because if so, we gotta Listen. Who is he? And then secondly, where's your mindset? 
Look, it's natural for us all to start with our minds set on the things of men. We all do. But instead, Jesus wants to draw your heart to the things of God. Are, are we settling for the things of this world? Are we settling just for what's around us? Or are we finally ready to, to say, God, I, I need you because I can't keep hold of all these things. I can't fix it. Jesus, I need your help. Which leads to the final question, will you follow? Not do you like him? Not will you, you say nice things about him? Are, are you willing to lay aside yourself and follow after him? To say no to self even when our flesh screams otherwise, even when the world screams otherwise, and are we willing to follow after him and say, no, Jesus, I choose you. Where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. I wonder some of you, you've been dancing in the wilderness for a long time. You've been believing the lies of the enemy for a long time. And I wonder if today might be the day you finally just say, Jesus, I follow you. I don't understand it all. I, I, don't. I don't. I don't see it all. It's unexpected. But I believe you. And I choose you. And even right now, you can put your faith in him and do that very thing. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray for every single one of us in this room. I'm so glad to see faces I know well. I see a lot of faces I don't know at all. But Lord, you know every one of us. You made us. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we're struggling with. You know how how some of us are weak when we walked in today. Confused, broken, angry, grieving, and everything in between. But Lord, none of that changes the fact that you're the only path of life. You're the way, truth, and the life. And so Jesus, we choose you. Lord, for anybody here who does not know you, could you even right now draw their heart that even maybe today could be the day they finally surrender their heart and life to you and say, I choose Jesus. If he gave his life for me, I'm willing to lay down my life that he might save me. Let today be that day for you. Father, help us, speak to us, and for all of us as believers, as we make this walk with you towards Easter, open up our hearts to see just what you have done and how much joy in life there can be found on your path, even through the cross, into the resurrection life you made us for. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.